Hello, I'm David Scott, the Editor-in-Chief of The Logic. And I'm Taylor Owen, Senior Fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation and a Professor of Public Policy at McGill. And this is Big Tech, a podcast that explores a world reliant on tech, those creating it, and those trying to govern it. The purpose of today's hearing is to examine the dominance of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Amazon runs the largest online marketplace in America, capturing 70% of all online marketplace sales. On Wednesday, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Cook, and Sundar Pichai all appeared in front of Congress as part of a landmark antitrust hearing. The four men lead companies with a combined market cap of almost $5 trillion. What this hearing means for big tech still remains to be seen. But at the very least, it's a sign that politicians in the U.S. are beginning to take these issues more seriously. While the U.S. has largely taken a hands-off approach to governing big tech, other countries are moving forward with broad platform governance agendas. Our guest this week, British Conservative MP Damien Collins, has been at the center of this debate. Domestically, he led a prominent British committee investigation into Cambridge Analytica's role in the British elections. And internationally, he's been at the core of a network of parliamentarians who are collaborating on how best to govern big tech. Called the International Grand Committee, it includes members in Canada, such as Nate Erskine-Smith and Charlie Angus. And I actually appeared before it when it held meetings in Ottawa last year. And together, these parliamentarians are collaborating on how best to take on the tech giants. We sat down with Mr. Collins on Tuesday just ahead of the antitrust hearings in Washington to talk about his ongoing efforts to regulate the platforms. Damien Collins, welcome to Big Tech. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So we're recording this ahead of the antitrust hearings tomorrow. I'm wondering, what would you like to see come out of those hearings tomorrow? Uh, What are you expecting as well? Well, as as someone who's question tech companies and watched other people do the same. Um, what happens on the day is often far short of what you'd like to see happen. Uh, often it's a process of evasion uh, of answers. But I think the stakes are being raised against the tech companies now. Um, I think as a con- consequence of competition investigations, um, I think a much more heightened level of interest now about platform policy against harmful content um, much more pressure on the companies to take decisions. And if, if you think in terms of taking decisions about speech, we've seen the companies already take decisions I don't think they would have made a year ago. Uh, and I think coronavirus is a, has had a big impact uh, on that. And I think the, the pressure is on Facebook in particular because they are, they are not moving as fast as some other companies are as well. So I think it puts them in a more exposed position. So I'd expect to see questions around that too. Now, I saw today that the UK advertising industry press is reporting that um, digital is now more than half of the world's ad spend. You know, so, and when that is dominated by two companies... I think you can see why uh, these antitrust questions come up. And in Britain, the Competition and Markets Authority report has not only highlighted that, but also said the response to that should be regulation. And I think that is the big word I think we're seeing now in different different spaces that these problems require some form of external regulation to hold the companies to account. And these hearings are happening at a very interesting time, but I would see them as part of an ongoing process, but one that I think that is that is moving against the companies and towards a position of, Uh, probably more intervention and more regulation down the line. So you know David Cicilline well, I'm sure. 
And he's been chairing this process for going on a year now. And these hearings this week are really a culmination of their investigations. Do you think he's heading to the point where he's going to recommend trust busting or breaking up these companies? Um, And part of the challenge, I guess, that I'd love to hear your thoughts on is that these are ultimately very different companies with different business models and potentially different sets of anti-competitive behaviors. Where do you think this committee is heading? I think it's it's a good question, and so called. So the defence of the tech companies is that because they're different and and indeed have and have competing interests. So and indeed Apple talking about blocking ad tech on its on its devices shows that actually it can quite easily go to war with companies like Facebook and, and Google because its business model is so different. Um, I think that will be their main defence for saying, well, actually, this is not an antitrust situation because we've we've got people who are dominating different bits of the market, but they also compete against each other. And that's where this is, this is not Standard Oil or Microsoft or IBM. This is something that's very different. I mean, I think the the kind of the price big companies pay for not being broken up is that some other bodies are created to preserve the consumer and protect the consumer interest. I think what we, what we have to move away from is the idea that these are problems the companies either can or will solve themselves because they've really not shown any the only the only desire they have to act is either to gain i think a bit of an advantage over each other so that they're not the worst offender someone else is i think google's been very clever at sort of always staying kind of one step ahead of uh, facebook in terms of its uh, approach to to regulation and and i think listening and cooperating with with government government governing bodies but i think you know, the, the direction travel is slow. Now, I'd be fascinated to see what David does recommend. But from my point of view, I think, you know, creating bodies to establish these standards that we want to see may be an easier route than trying to trying to look at breaking these companies up. Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating aspect of this is you can actually get to some of the competition policy outcomes through other forms of policy, right? Whether it's a data privacy. And so you think then that those are more effective avenues into the anti-competitive practices than, than breaking them up? Well, they, they, they could be they could be easier to, to achieve. Um, and I certainly think looking from a European point of view, I think that would be a more likely more likely outcome. And I think we've seen that as well in some of the uh, antitrust issues the European Commission has taken against some of these companies, particularly Google on, on search as well, which is to, you know, there, there, are, there are fines and punishments, but also to, to stop them doing the things that they're doing that are um, are creating an unfair marketplace. We need to be certain that Amazon is not creating an uneven playing field whereby retailers that don't have a relationship with Amazon find it hard to sell on their platform. If you've got a dominant position, there should be a fair marketplace and there needs to be a great degree of transparency around how that, that marketplace operates. I think the same for the ad market as well, about pricing and transparency. Um, the, 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 the issue there, which I, I think the, the traditional media faces, though, that is, is less that there's not enough competition amongst uh, online advertising platforms, it's just that the digital space is dominating all other forms of media uh, to their detriment. And I think you know, we may, be, may have reached a tipping point on that. Um, I think certainly from Europe, I think it also spills into tax policy. And I think coronavirus accelerates that issue as well, which is that why is it that um, if online retailers are booming uh, and yet the traditional bricks and mortar shops and businesses are going bust at an increasing rate and get tax policy massively favours online uh, online retailing, then how can that be right where actually our tax policies are accelerating a problem of the retreat of high streets and the uh, uh, the strengthening of um, online retailers. And I think it makes it more likely, therefore, that we would look at the idea of online sales taxes. There are different policy levers you can pull to protect, but it's, and in some ways they each address different areas of disruption caused by the success and strength of these major companies. 
Yeah, and that's that's kind of you, you. You walked into my next question, which is if you step back. I mean, it's easy already in this conversation. We're 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 going right into the weeds, and it's hard to see the forest from the trees sometimes, and how these things all interplay with each other. How do you, when you're approaching this from a policymaking perspective and dealing with your stakeholders in government, what kind of framework do you use to, uh, I guess, make sense of the entire landscape that these companies cover? I think you have to step back to the to look at the interests of society in this problem. So if we think, is it a problem that hate speech uh, proliferates online and that social media is driving people towards hate speech and extremist content? Is that a problem? I think a lot of people say, yeah, that is a problem. And you step back and say, okay, this is a new problem in society. What do we do about it? Well, actually, unlike any other form of media, we don't really have any, many levers to pull uh, because we've allowed a situation to develop where the tech companies are really independent and not really legally responsible or liable for a lot of what happens on their platform. So you say, well, okay, well, we want to solve this problem and we're not satisfied that the companies will do it themselves. We have to find a different solution, which could be some form of, of regulation. Now, if we feel that the ad market is being dominated by two big tech companies with no transparency over pricing and lots of things they can do to manipulate the market to suit their own interests, we would say, well, actually, that's massively to the detriment of lots of other companies that want to innovate in that space or businesses that want to advertise. And therefore, if the companies can't effectively self-police themselves, then you'd look at some form of market intervention. And so I think you you look at a series of, of issues that are, that have that have arisen. And some of them you might say they're not maybe not necessarily the fault of the tech companies, these problems have arisen, but they're a consequence of their success. And you say, well, if we did nothing, what would happen? Uh, and therefore, you know, if, if that means that, you know, hate speech and radical, radical content proliferates online with no editing, no intervention, then that's probably going to be bad for democracy. Um, you know, if we allow one form of business to be lightly taxed and very successful, and that drives uh, other forms of businesses out, many of those businesses that have a big impact on how society looks, how our communities look, and that could be a bad outcome. So I think that's what policymakers have to do, is not necessarily say that tech is a problem, it's to say there are problems in society and the model of some of these tech businesses may be making those problems worse. And therefore, what as legislators do we do to solve those problems? Part of the challenge, of course, here is that this digital space just encompasses so much of our lives, our economies, our societies, um, that anything you do in one domain any policies you put in place um, necessarily have trade-offs on the others. I mean, just take the free speech debate. There is a real tension in this governance agenda between the protecting an individual's right to speak on these platforms and protecting individuals' rights not to be harmed by that speech. And, and I feel up until now, we've really privileged one side of that debate in this kind of unregulated environment where everybody's free to say almost anything. But I'm wondering how you think of these trade-offs. It must be a very complex policy agenda to step into as a leader, um, having to navigate not just what's the best policy for one issue, but how are they all going to fit together in a way that embedders our democracy? Yeah, I mean, so, so let, I mean, let's take take free speech as a as a good example of that. I think the tech companies hide behind an absolute version of of free speech, um, which is that they you know they don't really have a, a right or responsibility to, to intervene at all. Um, but I think that we say we have to look at it and say there's a difference between freedom of speech and freedom of reach. You know, someone may have a right to express an opinion; they don't necessarily have the right to have that opinion amplified. There's no first first constitutional right to have your voice amplified by the Facebook algorithm. And therefore, I think that's where the judgment of the companies call, it can be called into question to say, actually, 
many of the problems here is it's not that um, it's your it's your business model. It's the tools that you've created which are being exploited by people to make sure this speech proliferates, and that's the problem we, we're trying we're trying to solve. We're not trying to regulate everyone's speech. We're trying to say actually that when when speech scales and reaches an audience because of systems you've created then then we've got a right to question whether that's responsible or not. With technology, it's developed so fast um, that I think we've not yet kept pace. And looking in the UK, I mean, our, our, our most recent sort of Communications Act was in 2003. You know, our electoral law has not been updated to recognise that the internet is in any way an important tool for communicating in elections. And I think that's where, that's where the failure is. It's not about saying we're going to put, appoint a, sensor, a Facebook censor in government you know, who'll do, who will tell Facebook what to do. It's about saying... The companies have a responsibility and it should be an independent body that determines whether they're meeting those responsibilities and obligations or not. And or also seeks to define what we think hate speech is. We shouldn't just be leaving this, I don't think, to, to Mark Zuckerberg to determine what's responsible and reasonable and what's not. It's been interesting to see how nonpartisan this conversation has become. It actually seems like there's a fair amount of consensus on issues like disinformation, the spread of health misinformation... Um, even foreign interference in elections. Now, one example of this kind of cross-partisan consensus that seems to be emerging has been the International Grand Committee, which you were a part of founding. I've been really struck watching it over the past couple of years that it seems to be a place where politicians from across the political spectrum who all believe there's a problem here, and they're getting together to talk about how to fix that problem, again, across partisan lines, um, can you talk a bit about how this was founded, what your role in that was, um, and what you think the opportunity is here for this kind of international collaboration? When we started the when the select committee I chaired and the DCMS select committee, um, digital culture, media, and sport for uh, for your listeners, um, when we started our inquiry on disinformation, um, we held the first ever select committee hearing of a British parliamentary select committee to be live broadcast outside the UK, which we did at George Washington University. We asked uh, Facebook in particular about Cambridge Analytica. And this was based on the, art the article that appeared in The Guardian in 2015 uh, about whether Cambridge Analytica got hold of Facebook user data. And they denied that. And then about three or four weeks later, the scandal broke, the sort of Chris Wiley story, the, the big Cambridge Analytica scandal broke. What we then noticed to our, to our interest was that the Facebook was um, giving evidence in the parliament in Singapore on an, on, an, on an inquiry they were doing about how to legislate to deal with fake news and disinformation. And they questioned Facebook based on the testimony they'd given to us. And then uh, as, the, as the Cambridge Analytica affair developed, we became very interested in a company called Aggregate IQ that are based in, uh, based in Canada, and, um, but had worked on the Brexit referendum, had worked with Cambridge Analytica. And we were interested in asking questions about data and how they'd worked with Cambridge Analytica and what they'd done in the context of the referendum. Uh, now, that's where our cooperation with the Canadian committee started, where um, they were asking AIQ questions about an investigation they were that was taking place in the UK by the UK Information Commissioner. I heard the answers that were given. I knew that what they said wasn't true. And I was able to text Nate, Nate Erskine-Smith on the Canadian committee to ask the questions, you know, a message to say, as far as the UK Information Commission is concerned, that's not true and here's the reasons why. So we could see that when you'd got committees that were actively investigating the same issues, that it was very helpful to compare notes. 
Uh, particularly as the tech companies largely try and give you the brush off on the hope that you don't really understand the answers to the questions that you're asking. So therefore, the more you can improve your knowledge based on shared understanding of the way different parliaments were approaching this problem, that would be very powerful. And that was really how it got going. And I think it is really important where with, when you're looking at the big tech companies is that whilst the local situations may be different, there are many common threads and themes. And to be able to cooperate on your investigations and benefit from the work other people have done is, I think, incredibly helpful. You mentioned Singapore's participation, and and this brings up a real challenge in this governance agenda, which is countries of varying degrees of democracy and arguably even liberalism in some cases are all using similar language to govern speech on the internet um, in different ways, right, with different core values. Um, do you see this as, as an alignment of democracies and democratic governance? And is that needed to push back against the, the competing tech infrastructure, which is the Chinese one, which is fundamentally liberal by design? Um, how do you view that democratic spectrum that seems to exist amongst countries that are speaking to each other and collaborating in this space? I think it's really important that we have a model where citizens have got rights. And therefore, if it's on, if it's on speech, if it's determining what sort of hate speech is or what speech should be acted against or, or downgraded in the algorithms of, of the companies, um, I don't think that should just be the judgment of the companies, nor do I think it should be the job of a government minister to do it. I mean, I said to the, the, the government in Singapore that I thought the, the approach they had taken on disinformation, whilst the basis of trying to have a mechanism of deciding what is disinformation or not, and therefore creating a legal liability to act... Um, that's one thing. In France, it's a judge that makes that decision. In Singapore, it's the government minister. And I said, I didn't think in, you know, I think probably in the UK, we would say that would probably be an independent regulatory body. It wouldn't be down to a government minister to make that decision. And I think that's really, really important that um, there is, it's not politicians making these decisions. It's people who are who, who are separate and independent and can form their own judgment. Um, what we need to do is create a system where where citizens have rights in, in uh, over their data and rights online uh, in the way that they do in, in democracies and other aspects of their life too. So I think we do need to stand up and fight for that model. And certainly, as you rightly say, on disinformation, I mean, whilst it was very interesting to discuss areas of common interest with the, with the parliamentarians in Singapore, certainly in terms of the, the solutions, I think they are quite different. That's, in essence, what Mark Zuckerberg is going to argue in his testimony tomorrow, right? That Facebook is a patriotic company and uh, it's Facebook versus China. Is he wrong? Um the, the, what I think is wrong, the narrative that, that comes out of Facebook sometimes, particularly from Nick Clegg, is that kind of, um, unless you let us do what we want, China's going to take over the internet. You know, so, and we've got to be big and strong to stand up to them and that, you know, and therefore don't question us because, you know, you know, we're more, we're more on your side than China is. I mean, I just don't think that, that's kind of, kind of choosing two sort of like extreme positions, uh, and trying to sort of pretend you're sort of in the middle of it. Um, I think, um, and also, I think Facebook behaves very differently in different parts of the of the world too. I mean, we've seen, you know, um, I think you know, you'd look in the country like the Philippines, you'd say, well, where Facebook basically is the internet, you'd say, well, actually, that's hardly a model of a kind of pluralistic society. You know, of uh, you know, there've been terrible problems with you know hate speech and propaganda uh, being used there. I think what we have to look at and judge Facebook on in particular is the way they operate. Well, I think we should hold them to account for the way they operate around the world and some quite shameful incidents, particularly the Facebook being used to organise atrocities in, 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 in Myanmar. I think we, they should be held to account for things like that. 
but we should also hold them to account for the decisions they take in our countries too. Um, and you know, the decisions they take over regulating hate speech, you know, on political advertising, uh, on um, promoting extremist content, um, that's based on their policies and their decisions, and they should be held to account for them. That's you know, whatever your views are on TikTok or or, Ch- or China, the Chinese state. Um, that doesn't mean to say you can't have a view on Facebook as well. So one of the things that seems to come up from the International Grand Committee conversations um, and some of the broader global governance conversations in this space is that there's really a need for countries who don't have the market power of the United States or even the EU um, to band together in their regulatory approaches. Um, Even just take the issue of antitrust that's on the agenda this week. I thought it was really interesting that the UK and Australia are collaborating in their antitrust investigation of Facebook's purchase of Giphy. Um, Do you think this is a real opportunity here for small countries to band together and collaborate in order to gain the market and regulatory power needed to push back against these global companies? Well, I mean, for sure. I mean, so I think you look at the resources of independent of the regulators in these in these countries as well and they are they are limited i mean for the uk information commissioner to take on facebook is a massive undertaking given it has lots of other jobs to do as well so i think regulatory cooperation both internationally and within countries as well i think will be really important so you know the competition and markets authority need to cooperate with ofcom our media regulator and the information commissioner if they're looking at these issues because it crosses over too much and i think there's only a certain number of people that have the expertise to do it. So that is important. I think there's also something else which should come. I think, so often I think the big tech companies say we need a global solution. Now, often people say that when they don't, when they want to delay any solution because they know the chances of arriving at a global solution where we get, you know, the US, China and the European Union all in the same place is kind of very, very unlikely to succeed. But I think we can break that down and say in the Western world, can we try and come to some, some sort of sense of common standards I think we've reached a point now where we say well, we understand what the the disruptive influence of technology is in many aspects of life. Lots of positives in that, some issues we need to address. It would be really helpful if we could come with a, a sort of common approach of both what we think the responsibilities and liabilities of the technology companies should be and, and what oversight there should be on whether they meet them or not. And that would be enormously helpful if we could do that, or at least talk about how we would try and do it. Um, but at the moment, it looks like we've really got a kind of a conflict between probably an EU approach which would be more interventionist, and a, a US approach, which is, you know, which for the moment really gives very lim- limited liabilities, if any, for the companies at all. You know, Mr. Collins, you mentioned that you started this process uh, a few years ago, uh, and we weren't in a global pandemic at that time. During this pandemic, in some ways, big tech's power has only increased. Uh, you know, if you look at even the stock market, uh, the, the, the stock market is being supported or held together by these these companies. Uh, if you look at here in North America, the strength of Amazon and how it's really allowed people to go on with their lives. Uh, is the public with you? Or is the public quite happy with how big tech operates? And um, how do you, do you, as a politician who obviously has to think about that a lot, how do you reconcile that or wrestle with the public interest more broadly and public opinion? Uh, more narrowly? So I think, I don't think the public see it as, a, as an all or nothing question, um, which I think is somehow, sometimes how it's, Nick Clegg would like to portray it uh, as, you know, which is that they think, yeah, online retail is, in, is, is enormously beneficial 
You know, the fact that you can get stuff delivered fast, you know, to your home at a time when people couldn't go out shopping, enormously beneficial. But I think people also care about the decline of the high street and the decline of uh, about retail shopping. Now, the consumer is not going to say, well, partly that's down to their own consumer behaviour that, that has happened. But if we say, well, actually, you know, we've got a very old fashioned system of business taxation, which makes it very tax efficient to set up an online business that without a shop, very, very tax inefficient to have a shop which employs people in your community and has a physical presence and makes the place look nice. Should we do something about that? Or are we happy for this trend just to continue as it is? You know, it's not the fault of Amazon that that's happened. Partly our fault because our, we've not updated our own policies to try and give some of the smaller businesses a, a fair go. Uh, but nevertheless, is that something that we should we should care about? You know, if um, you know if the consequence of the massive shift of ad revenue online is the collapse of the news industry in, at a localized level. Is that something we should care about? It's not necessarily the fault of Google and Facebook that that's happened. They didn't. It's not what they designed. They, they set out to achieve necessarily, but nevertheless, it has happened. So, what what do we do to try and rebalance that interest? Um, social media plays a fantastic job in connecting friends, families, communities, and so on. But it's also exploited to do bad things and spread hate as well. So, I think that these are the these are the issues. I think what what the public perceive is they don't have a any more than I do a sort of sense of technology is a problem we've got to solve. I think what they see is there are certain societal problems that are, that are occurring. Um, some of them occurring within the, te- the te- tech space, and they want to see a remedy to those problems, those individual problems. And that's, I think, what we're, we're you know we're here to do. What's at stake if we don't remedy those problems? Well, I think I think uh, we we lose control in a way that we've never really we've never really accepted that sort of loss of control before. Um, and you know, if we had a an information world that was largely controlled by the algorithms of a couple of social media companies, which can easily be gamed by outside actors. People find it very difficult to have access to information that's accurate. We live in a world where no one really knows what to believe and doesn't trust any source of information. We have to say that that's massively harmful to democracy. Damien Collins, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Big Tech is presented by the Center for International Governance Innovation and The Logic, and produced by Antikev Productions. Make sure you subscribe to Big Tech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes on Thursdays every other week.